Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I spent Sunday night, like many of you here, watching the Super Bowl, watching the LA Rams beat the Cincinnati Bengals, and somewhat wonder when or when will we see Washington even sniff the big game. I know that wasn't the predominant focus for, for all of us. It was, it was, Hey, how is it was Matthew Stafford going to uh, ascend to the biggest stage after all those years in, in Detroit and really live up uh, to the expectations he did. Will Joe Burrow uh, rise up in the biggest game of his young career? He did. He just didn't have any help from his offensive line, but okay. Aaron Donald, Kind of a problem for everybody, and he was a huge problem last night for uh, the Bengals. So, congrats to the Rams. And as far as uh, the Washington football team, God, here we go. The Washington Commanders. Look, we all get it right. We're all going to keep botching this name for a minute. Just <laughs> g- g- give me a minute to, to to work on that. Anyway, the Washington Commanders. Uh, it is time to move forward it, towards the 2022 season. We have officially reached. That part of the calendar, 2021 NFL campaign in the books, 2022 is here. And therefore, it is time to start looking ahead and wondering what does Washington need to do to to get into that conversation with the other contenders. And obviously, we get it. Quarterback's a big deal. It isn't just that, though. And there's also some other business that's going to happen this offseason with this team. So to do that, I brought in one of the smartest guys I know who talks about the commanders. It is our friend Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Al and I will talk in just a few minutes about uh, the quarterback scenarios. I came up with a few. We'll see which one Al finds the most interesting. We'll talk about some potential cap casualties. We'll we'll, we'll look at the Super Bowl in general, but also with with an eye towards Washington and a bunch more uh, here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes or Spotify, or the Athletic app. If you're not a subscriber, you can find it there. And of course, have access to everything else that is over on the Athletic. And that includes uh, my Friday story. I I did a deep dive into the quarterback uh, conversation, the quarterback search, spoke to a bunch of league sources, executives, coaches, and others when I was down at the Senior Bowl. And since I returned, uh, you can check that out over on the Athletic. And there's always a discount code there. you know, there's always something. If you haven't jumped in yet, um, take a look. And of course, for here, uh, if you haven't subscribed, like I mentioned, please do that. And I truly always appreciate when everybody has a chance to leave a rating and a review. These things really do help. Um, I always like the negative ones, but you know, hey, that's it's out there. You got everybody. I, I put myself out there like this. You take the good, you take the bad, and it is almost entirely good. But occasionally, you know, some people have thoughts. All right, and one thing, and kind of a big thing, of course. Uh, from Super Bowl Sunday, and this was part of the pregame show over on NBC, Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio dropped a bit of a bombshell regarding the support that Dan Snyder is or is not receiving from his fellow owners. Of course, as we know, uh, we've discussed this here plenty of times, if there's ever going to be a path for 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 Dan Snyder to no longer be the owner of this team, it seems likely. I mean, this is without him choosing to sell. It would seem likely that it's going to come down to his fellow owners deciding they've had enough, right? So, 
Florio made this made this uh, report. This is, of course, in light of direct accusations against Dan Snyder from a former team employee at the recent congressional roundtable. Uh, uh, allegations of him uh, touching her inappropriately, uh, etc. Uh, here's what Florio said: "Quote, I'm told for the first time ever there is a sense among ownership." that the time may have come for Daniel Snyder to move on. Uh, I mean, that's not nothing. It's also far from saying anything will happen now or anytime soon. But that letter that was sent out last week from the NFL to Congress showing some separation between the league and the owner of, of the commanders is notable. It's the rare, rare time where we saw some activity that suggests there could be a bit of a riff there and a separation. February 14th, that is today, is the day, I believe, in which documents from the NFL to Congress are due. I would not expect that to happen. The deadline will be later today. I'm talking to you guys around uh, noon on um, Monday, so we'll see what goes on there. But the point is, that is obviously very notable uh, in this constant conversation about what is going to happen here with this team and the constant twists and turns did talk about a lot of that the other day on Friday's podcast with Rachel Engelson, one of the women, uh, former employees, who's been one of the faces of this um, movement against uh, Dan Snyder, uh, and also with our friend Joe House. So you can check that out as well. And Al, Al and I do get into this as well uh, at the end of the at the end of our interview, but I wanted to mention it here at the top as well. It is a, it is notable, and we'll see where the week goes for sure. Um, all right, so uh, let, let me just have a couple quick thoughts on, on the Super Bowl for myself. I don't know what you guys did. I went over to my friend Dave's house and watched the game there with him and, and another pal, John. I've known these guys since college, so it was good to catch up with them. And, you know, it, it feels like we've been watching Matthew Stafford since that long. I'm too old for that to have occurred. But um, it was interesting. It was an interesting matchup, of course. You had the the favored Rams, the the with the, the more starry team, the team, the all-in team, the team that this all-in move, we talk about it in terms of, hey, they acquired Odell Beckham and Von Miller during the offseason or during the season. Last year, they, of course, beat out Washington and other teams to acquire Matthew Stafford. And they, they made a, a move earlier uh, to, to acquire Jalen Ramsey and gave up a bunch of picks. This team just decides their first couple of rounds, they're good with trading those out for years and years to acquire big talent. And guess what? <laughs> it absolutely paid off for them with this Super Bowl uh, win. Whether it's going to be something that's going to become a trend around the league, I think that's another story, and maybe Al and I will talk about that. But to me, when you look at that game last night, uh, or really not so much the game itself, but when you look at the Rams' ascension, I think it really starts with the boldest move they made, and that is hiring a 30-year-old offensive coordinator from a Midland team to become their new head coach. And that's what the Rams did when they brought in Sean McVay in 2017 uh, after they had had a listless four and 12 season. And, you know, Sean McVay has already now been to two Super Bowls in what, five years as a head coach. Uh, He is quickly uh, has quickly ascended to being one of the better coaches in the, in the league. I think we all got tired of that, uh, graphic we kept seeing over and over again how all these NFL head coaches were on the 23 or the 2013 Washington 
coaching staff, obviously Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur. We can now add Mike McDaniels, the new Dolphins head coach um, on that list. Um, but those other three, you know, have, have already established themselves. And that was an annoying graphic because it kept uh, inferring that Washington blew it by not keeping any of them while ignoring all the context around that. That said, Sean McVay, I still remember, I wasn't covering the team a ton from a full-time perspective at that point. I would be around here and there, but not enough to really talk to coaches pretty much. It was just sort of maybe I'd covering the locker room here and there and, and writing about some things from an analysis perspective. But in terms of like really talking to people, not so much. And I still remember though, the first time I talked to Sean McVay and just being absolutely blown away by his charisma and by thinking, wow, I, I you'd heard at that point about some of this, about this, this kid who could really kind of grab you, that he was somebody to really keep an eye on. And immediately I, I sensed that. And so when he came time that the Rams were started to interview him and people were like, Oh, you know, no chance this happened. I believe I tweeted, but and I'm not saying I was alone in this, that watch out for this guy. Like if he gets his way in the interview room, he's going to win this job or he's got a really good chance depending on who else he's up against because he is that, um, he is that interesting. And um, obviously it was a great move by the Rams, incredibly bold to do that. And it's paid off. And, you know, it was not, I, I wouldn't say last night's game was my favorite Super Bowl ever. I think it was kind of an aimless one for a lot of the game. Maybe boring is too strong, but it just didn't have a lot of narrative to it, a lot of storyline. Just, you know, I mean, there were some things happening, of course. <laughs> They're playing the game, but it just, I don't know, kind of really just kind of meandered. I, at first, I thought maybe it was the room I was in with my friends that we were maybe too distracted by other factors, uh, you know, giving each other grief over things that happened uh, 20 years ago from, from back in the day or, or, or talking about uh, uh, different TV shows we're watching or, or, or picking ourselves out on various uh, chips, dips, and wings. But then I talked to other people and, and, and kind of heard similar stories. That said, the game got interesting late. And in the second half in particular, the Rams defensive line really did take over as we all anticipated. It's one thing to say the, Ram, you know, the Rams defensive line against the Bengals offensive line is where this game will be decided. And, it, and for it to play out like that, it, it actually did. Um, I, I argue that Aaron Donald should have been the MVP. I, I think some of you may have heard. Um, and I talked to Kevin Sheehan the other day that uh, on his podcast that I mentioned um, that I had uh, I prop bet earlier on in the playoffs for Aaron Donald to win the MVP. So that would have been fun. But I think the Rams defensive line won that game for them. They kept when the Rams offense really started to slide after Odell Beckham's injury. Uh, they were getting nowhere. They had no balance on their offense, no run game at all. But that defense kept them going. And what they have seven sacks, six, I believe, in the second half. Donald and Von Miller, but Donald was just, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe the team, maybe he just, he wasn't making the flashiest of plays. Maybe the TV uh, announcers weren't highlighting him enough to a degree. I could be wrong on that. I wasn't listening to everything that um, Al and Chris were saying, but you know, he makes, you know, he's harassing Joe Burrow. He has the two sacks. And then in the end, the, uh, the Bengals get third and one after their, after the Rams get the go ahead touchdown Stafford with a great 15 play drive capped by the Cooper cup touchdown, his second of the game, third and one, the Bengals have the ball and they call for the run to get the first and move the chains. Okay. I get the call, even though the, the clock is running out or, or winding down, but they run it in the direction of Aaron Donald. And with our old friend, Samaj P Ryan seemed like a dicey call. And when you watch the replay to see Donald 
just yank him backwards. Um, you know, that's pretty, that, that, that was pretty wild. And then he, on the last play, he's the one who's harassing Joe Burrow into just basically throwing the ball away. Um, it just wildly impressive performance by a guy who obviously is going to go down as an all time. Great. We'll see if he actually does retire as some of the rumors were suggesting yesterday, but a tremendous game and tremendous job by the Rams. Great job by the Bengals too. Let's just be clear. I mean, two years ago, they had the number one pick in the draft because of their terrible record and they all the way to the Super Bowl. They've got a ton of cap space. They're going to be a team to contend with for sure in the years to come because Joe Burrow is that good. Um, but today is the Rams day and Sean McVay. I think the move to bring him in was the true catalyst for this. So when we talk about how aggressive the Rams have been, the, the kind of, uh, you know, all in moves that all in move started 2017 when they bring in a 30 year old head coach and say, yes, this guy, we're going this way. That is a bold move to make kudos to them for doing it. But I do wonder from a takeaways perspective, Ron Rivera was so, so close to getting Matthew Stafford last year. I'm not saying they were the runner-up, but they were in the mix. They were in the hunt. I think they had an opportunity to get them once the conversation went beyond. What else are you going to give up beyond a first and a third-round pick is where I think things kind of went sideways. That said, I do wonder if Ron Rivera looks at this and says, boy, the Rams got Stafford and went and won the Super Bowl. We need to be that team. We need to, whatever we have to do, move mountains to get that team. Now, they can try, and if if, if if players aren't available, they're not available. But I do wonder if a takeaway from Ron Rivera after all this time is, hey, we got to be more aggressive than we were last year. We can't be runner-up as we were to Amari Cooper. Can't be runner-up as we were, uh, pr- presumably runner-up to Matthew Stafford, or at least they were one of the teams in the mix. they got to be aggressive. We'll see how that goes. And, of course, if they want to be aggressive – where does Dan Snyder fit in all this, which is, of course, another topic that is out there. How involved is Dan Snyder in any of this? We still don't know. I've asked about this. Have yet to hear back from anybody on the matter. So we'll see how that goes. Um, all right. Here we go. My conversation with our friend Al Galdi. We're going to talk a lot about the Washington football team's offseason, a little more on the Super Bowl and uh, the defensive line and a bunch of other things here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, as promised, joining us here on the podcast, you know him, you love him. He is the great Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Did you enjoy the Super Bowl? Uh, I did. I enjoyed this NFL postseason. I actually think it's kind of funny because the postseason started with that lackluster wildcard round, and it looked like this postseason could end up being a total flop, and it quickly transformed into, I think, one of the better NFL postseasons I can remember from the divisional round through the conference championship round through the Super Bowl. You got nothing but close games, competitive games, exciting moments. You know, some games were better than others. But, yeah, uh, I thought it was well done. I enjoyed halftime. I enjoyed the Rock pregame. So, yeah, thumbs up on the Super Bowl. Oh, the Rock. Of course, you were, you know, when I first got to know you, it was because you were the, <laughs> you were the wrestling uh the wrestling uh, guru uh, or, or around. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the last three weeks of the NFL play, it, it, it had sort of almost like a March madnessy vibe to it. There were some upsets, a lot of buzzer beaters, a lot of games, you know, that came in, came down to, to the final minutes. I wouldn't say yesterday's game was an all timer for me. I thought it was kind of, I said in my intro, it was a little bit of a narrative list uh, journey for a while. But eventually it did get going. 
Um, you know, neither offense could really kind of find a rhythm, but uh, you know, the, uh, whatever, it, a lot can be made up. You kind of forget what happened to a degree. I don't know if you agree with that assessment, but a lot can be ignored or forgotten when you have a game that comes down to the end. And obviously they have the Rams go on the 15 play drive to take the lead. And then the Bengals have it, you know, moving the ball to try to uh, get a tie at least. And then Aaron Donald does Aaron Donald things. And, and uh, you know, that was that was a a nice way to cap that off for him in particular yeah yeah it was not an all-time classic but it was close it kept your attention and I think for a lot of people I know certainly for myself what you're going to remember more than anything is that divisional round like that that to me like that's this postseason what happened in that round what happened with those four games and you know, each game was better than the next one and the incredible individual performances, you know, the Mahomes, Josh Allen thing, the Tom Brady and uh, him going down to the Rams and the way that that game played out, all the walk-off finishes. Like when I think about the 2022 NFL postseason for the 2021 season, be careful if you're putting together a press, the commanders. Uh, I think that that divisional round is what's going to stick with me more than anything. And Truth be told, like after that round, it was going to be hard to equal that, let alone top that. So um, I almost feel like that was a Super Bowl. Like the Bills-Chiefs game, that probably is the most memorable game from this NFL season. Like, yes, it wasn't the Super Bowl. Yes, it was only the second round of the postseason. But like, that's the game that I feel like sticks with so many people. A hundred percent. I mean, as fun as the Bengals story was, particularly with Joe Burrow ascending to being a guy, I'd said if they won that game, Joe Burrow goes from just being, hey, this guy's an up-and-coming star to, wow, he is the face of the league and one of the most prominent A-list celebrity athletes we have right now. Um, he's still he's still doing fine, despite the loss. Uh, but, yes, right, that, that, that Bills-Chiefs game really was the, uh, the, the, the pinnacle for this uh, offseason, uh, for sure. Yeah, and it also, like, perfectly captures the NFL of right now, and it spoke – to so many of us as commanders fans because of, you know, one great young quarterback dueling with another great young quarterback and one explosive play after another. And the game was like never over. And the final two minutes of regulation were probably the greatest final two minutes of regulation in any NFL game ever. I know that sounds like hyperbole, but like maybe a better two minute end of regulation to any football game that you've ever seen And so I feel like the game, it's not just that it was a great game, but it was like the perfect commentary, the perfect time capsule on the NFL in 2021, 2022. And again, like as a commander's fan and also as someone who talks about the team, the game was something that like punched you right in the face because it's like, this is the NFL, you know, the NFL isn't trying to win 2017 with Antonio Gibson having 30 carries. God bless Antonio Gibson. I love him, but like, that's not the NFL. Okay. This is the NFL. What we saw between Mahomes and Allen, that's the NFL. And uh, that was like a, a flashing neon sign from the football gods. I felt like to all of us as uh, commanders, fans and observers. And in the gap between the haves and the have-nots, I've talked about this a while now, it feels like it's greater than ever at the quarterback, whether that's because of the, the, the level of the, of the talent, the rules in place for the NFL that obviously just gives so many advantages to, to the offense, the lack of quarterback options. I mean, you, know, you could argue half the league doesn't at least have a tr- an obvious starter or a plan, you know, close to it at least, um, that they feel, that they feel you know, really good about. Um, you know, I mean, like as much as fun as, as much fun as people make about a Kirk Cousins kind of thing, 
Minnesota's very lucky to have that guy because they, they at least have a puncher's chance and maybe even more of, of contending if things break their way. Half the league doesn't have anything like that. Um, I heard somebody the other day or somewhere over the weekend made hours of dribble, uh, <laughs> dribble uh, commentary leading into the game about how, you know, last offseason – it was so rare to to see so many notable quarterbacks become available. And while that was true, most of those that were became available were got were team for, from teams that were um, rebuilding. It wasn't like, if you have a real quarterback now, I think teams are holding onto them more than ever, which does lead into the commander's aspect of this all. Cause if you let one go, you are going straight to the bottom. If you don't have a plan and you have no chance to contend and nobody wants to sell no hope unless you were just admittedly the the Texans or one of these teams were just like, Hey, it's going to be a minute. We we're going to have to reassess here. Yeah. Um, if you don't have say an upper half of the NFL guy, however you want to define that it's really hard to try to win. Now it's not impossible. I mean, we did see Jimmy Garoppolo win at Aaron Rodgers this postseason, but that's pretty much the exception, not the rule. And Trying to go down, you know, the Jimmy Garoppolo, Ryan Tannehill path requires everything around the quarterback being just right. And so often things aren't just right. Like you really want a guy around whom things don't have to be perfect and he can sort of drag you to the finish line instead of you have to prop him up and that's how you get to the finish line. So, yeah, I mean, that that's the nature of the NFL right now. That's, I think, the best way to try to build a roster. It's not easy, okay? I mean, it's it's one thing to say, go get a franchise quarterback. It's another thing to actually do it. But, you know, what I actually think is interesting, too, off what you just said is, what did the Rams do? They kind of sort of had a guy in Jared Goff. Not that he's great, but, you know, he did get them to a Super Bowl. And the Rams said, no, we want to do better. And I know for me, that's one of the things that really sticks with me about this NFL season, that even if you have a guy who's kind of sort of okay, that's still not good enough. Like you can swing harder and aim higher. The Chiefs did that with Alex Smith, right? They had Alex Smith. He had in the 2017 season an MVP caliber season. I remember this. People talked about Alex Smith as an MVP candidate in 17. And Andy Reid said, no, we want to go with a guy on whom we spent a first round pick, a guy who we feel like has bigger upside. They uh, dumped Alex Smith on our team and they went with Mahomes and we know how that's worked out. So it's kind of funny, right? Like if you have a guy, you definitely need to appreciate that and hold on to the guy. But if you know what you're doing, you can move on from the guy and upgrade. And we've seen the Chiefs and Rams do that in recent years. Yeah. And to that end, so I, I just did this whole big quarterback story on the athletic on uh, Friday, kind of laying out everything I've heard and, and, and think about the availability, the availability of, of players and also which teams might be available. And somebody told me that look, there may be a mystery name out there that we haven't even talked about yet. I didn't get the name. Uh, tried to guess and talk to people some guesses. Maybe it's a Kyler Murray. But to the point that you just made, I think the name, like for example, I think if you're Tennessee, right, you're the one seed in the in the in the AFC, even after missing Aaron Derrick Henry for a good chunk of the season. You got to give Ryan Tannehill some credit for that. But when you got to the big game, to the playoffs, he's just not that guy. He's he's fine. He gives you an opportunity to contend. He's Washington would be ecstatic, I would think, to have Ryan Tannehill relative to what they've had. But at the same point, if you've got what they have, a defensive line that sacked Joe Burrow nine times, you have A.J. Brown, you have Derrick Henry. Don't you want that quarterback? So if Aaron Rodgers becomes available, when we all sit here and talk about 
who's contending with Washington hypothetically to get that guy. And we look at, well, the Steelers don't have a quarterback or the, the Broncos need a quarterback. Don't ignore the teams that we think have a quarterback that are just like, ah, wait a minute. We can maybe do a little bit better here. I think the Eagles are another example of this. I mean, Jalen Hurts is still developing and I'm not the biggest guy, but some people would say, oh, well, they have a guy, right? They have a young guy they can build around. Ah, I don't know. I think they could do better. And they have three first round picks. And this is why the idea that Washington is just going to go find a quarterback. <laughs> I mean, it's, they might, but it's the odds are not again, not working for them because what you said, so many teams are going to be like, Hey, we need to go get one either. Cause we don't have one or we have to get an upgrade. Yeah. And that's why I know for me as a commanders fan, I really want them going with someone with real upside. Like all of this Jimmy Garoppolo talk just does not move me. And that's not to say that he's terrible because he isn't. That's not to say that he might not even be an upgrade because I think he probably would be given what he's done. But it's like, okay, we kind of know what he is. It's supremely telling to me that the 49ers have Garoppolo. He's gotten them to an NFC championship game two of the last three seasons. And yet the Niners are more than willing to trade him this offseason and made the big trade up in last year's draft to take a total unknown in Trey Lance. So it's like, all right, it's not just about getting someone who's better than Taylor Heineke. It's about getting someone with real upside. And if it all works out with the guy, and that's a big if, right? Because it might not. But if it does, you maybe have something really special. Like to me, for the commanders, I'd much rather them, if they're going to give up assets, don't give up assets to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Give up assets to move up in the draft to take Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis or someone who you believe has real upside. Even with what we all know about this quarterback draft class, which is that it isn't the greatest if everything works out for a picket or a Willis or whoever, like, you know, we don't have to be super specific about those guys, but then maybe you really have something special. Like you really want to aim for something special here. All right. Well, so let's play this out a little bit. We all keep talking about uh bless you to Al. We all keep talking about, okay. We all got to sneeze. Uh, we, we, we keep talking about what are they going to do now? All the scenarios we can say, well, they should go get this star quarterback, okay? But there will be a cost to it. Or we could say, well, maybe it's easier to just, you know, kind of go cheaper. Okay, well, here's what that actually looks like. So I came up with some scenarios. We're, we're going to put the consulting firm of Standing and Galdi to the test here and, to, and help give Ron Rivera some suggestions as to what they should do if presented with these options. Because they're saying they're going to look at everything. I'll go sort of in, in reverse order of sex appeal. Okay. Okay. First one, you sign Mitch Trubisky. I get it. Not exciting. He arguably flamed out with the Bears, but he did make the playoffs twice. He was the number two pick in the 2017 draft. I talked to some people who see him still having some potential as an athlete. And he he was in Buffalo the last year where he spent time with Brandon Bean, a guy that Ron Rivera definitely trusts from their days in Carolina. He gets a good assessment, Rivera. Why not him? So let's just say for for argument's sake. It's Mitch Trubisky, two years, let's say, say $16 million. The second year has like a, I don't know, a $3 million guaranteed. Then it's a team option for the rest. Maybe he's got some uh, fun clause where if he starts at least 13 games this year, the next year, that guarantees whatever, something like that. And then they would also take a quarterback on day two, pick whoever you want of the likely candidates there. So that would be Trubisky, a day two quarterback. Um, and I guess they'll say Taylor Heineke still floating around. That's option one. You're with me so far? Okay, yeah. All right. I'm watching Al's face. He is not getting excited yet. Okay. 
Option no. two. Option. That, 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 we're going to call that the missionary position option. So yeah. <laughs> I'm curious then what what what, what positions you're going to call some of these <laughs> other ones. All right, o- option two. So you mentioned the draft. Um, you know, it's not just that Washington could stay at 11 and guarantee that they would get any quarterback they want. Denver at nine might want one. Carolina at six might want one. We don't know. So let's just say they focus on the draft. They do trade up. Um, you know, typically a trade up might mean a future one. Might mean. <laughs> other picks depending on you know a second and some other stuff that side so they move up to get the quarterback that they want however if you're going to be that plan that means they probably did not sign any significant veteran even a Mitch Trubisky so you're looking at Taylor Heineke and we'll just say some sort of like Kyle Allen Colt McCoy level other third quarterback so you're going to start the year probably with Taylor Heineke starting to then eventually get to the rookie all right, we're we're we're, we're all, that's option okay. two. I'm not going to ask you to name it. If you'd like to, uh, you know, sh- share your thoughts, you can. But the, other than that, you're good. I, I got to see. I got to see what's going on in options uh, three and four. I got to see how extreme you're about to get here. So let's. All see. right, all right. Option three. Uh, you mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo. I get it. It's not necessarily the upside play, but he may very well be the most the best quarterback available, at least based on accomplishments. So. Uh, the, the here you would have trade a second this year and a 2023 fifth for Garoppolo. However, because you're going to give up a second round pick, you're going to have to extend him because he only has one year left on the deal for about 25 million. You're going to have to extend him to, to justify giving up that second. For argument's sake, we'll just keep the money around the relative same. Maybe maybe that works out for everybody. You, he doesn't take a raise, but you're not having to pay Jimmy Garoppolo 30 plus million dollars. So two years extended for through the 2024 20, 25 um sorry 20 extended through 2024 um there's that and then the last option somehow russell wilson becomes available i don't know if he will be uh i i, I would venture to guess no i don't get why pete carroll would trade him unless russell wilson says i want out but let's just say for argument's sake that he does right we just went through it every team in the league who doesn't have a definitive quarterback is going to want in and therefore the price is going to get jacked up. So it's not just saying here's Russell Wilson. The cost is three number ones and Montez Sweat. That's your cost. What are you doing? Uh, I would do the Russell Wilson trade. Um, like you, I don't truly believe he's going to be dealt, but I do think there's a possibility. I don't think it's necessarily this like 5% proposition that, I think some people think, you know, maybe it's like 15%, which isn't sky high, but it's something. Um, But if the Wilson thing can't be done, then I would do option two, which is make the trade up to take a quarterback, assuming that you like a quarterback enough to trade up to take them. Now, I don't want them to trade up to take a quarterback in a draft just because they feel like they have to. Like, if they really don't like any of these quarterbacks, then don't do it, Okay. But assuming that they like one or more of these guys enough to where they feel like it's within reason that the guy could end up being really good, I would much rather them give up assets to move up in the draft to take someone who's young, who has upside, and who will be on a rookie contract than give up assets to get Garoppolo and then have to extend Garoppolo. And again, it's not that I think Jimmy Garoppolo is terrible, but I think we have a pretty good sense on what he is. And I think it's extremely telling 
that the Niners are wanting to move on from him despite two NFC Championship game appearances in three seasons. And, oh, by the way, with Garoppolo, there's a significant injury history. Um, That's a big thing with Garoppolo. He's been hurt a lot in his career. So I would say option two among the most realistic of those scenarios. But, yeah, if you can do the Wilson thing, I would do the Wilson thing because Wilson is still really good. He's been exceptionally durable. And he's young enough to where him being good for another, say, five years is more than possible. Uh, It may well be probable. So, like, you know, is Wilson elite in terms of, like, top five in the NFL? No, but he's top 10, which is really good. That's postseason good. That's advancement in postseason good. And I think Wilson, assuming he's on board with wanting to come here, um, I think you'd be in a really good and exciting position if you could pull that off. But like you, I'm not overly bullish on the Seahawks trading him. Did I, so did I make, is there a point where, you, like, maybe I made the, the, the offer too light? Maybe I need to have made it more uh, a higher cost? Because, I mean, realistically, I mean, maybe it's the three ones, uh, a two, and uh, uh, next year's two plus sweat. Like, has there become a point where you'd say, oh, boy, I can't can't do this? Or does it almost not matter because sort of what the Rams to some degree just showed us, like the difference between the NBA when you trade all your picks, your first round picks, there is no rest of the draft. The second round is basically guys who are going to have a passport and heading overseas. In the NFL, if you had no picks ever in the first two rounds, you still have guys in rounds three through seven that contribute, not to mention free agents sometimes. So it isn't completely you can kind of get away with trading those picks away. Obviously though, that's your best shot for talent. So what's the line? Yeah. Is there a point where you would say, oh, Ben, if you had added that, I wouldn't have done it. Well, I mean, you're only allowed to trade three first round picks moving forward. So like if the Seahawks demanded three ones, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Terry McLaurin, you know, like three ones to like f- your five best players. Well, yeah. I mean, at some point you do have to draw the line, but like, reasonably speaking I'm not sure that there's a price that I wouldn't pay and it's exactly what you just detailed you know like when it comes to players on the roster I'll be honest with you nobody's untouchable like there certainly are guys I don't want to trade like I don't want to trade Terry McLaurin but if it was if it came down to trade Terry McLaurin and get a true franchise quarterback or don't trade Terry McLaurin and sign Mitchell Mitchell Trubisky like no I'm sorry I'm gonna trade Terry Because here's the thing, if this front office isn't good enough to where it can't find other good players, then what are we doing here? Then we have no, then there's no point to any of this. Like you have to be good enough as a front office to constantly replenish and constantly add to your inventory in terms of good players. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't tell the Seahawks this, okay? But like behind the scenes, I'd be like, there probably isn't a realistic price that I won't pay for Russell Wilson. So if he's available, I think, the commanders are all in. And I think with the way Ron Rivera keeps talking, I almost feel like they don't have a choice. You know, Ron has made it very clear. The team needs to take a step forward this coming season. Ron has made it very clear. The team is looking to upgrade a quarterback. So um, the Seahawks would have the commanders in quite the position. If in fact, these trade talks uh, were to happen. That's the thing, right? I think like, while on the one hand, a team like Seattle, it doesn't make logical sense. It's 70-year-old Pete Carroll who's making the decisions, essentially, unless the owner steps in, which is conceivable if you're talking about trading Russell Wilson, that they say from an organizational standpoint, hey, we had a great decade, off the charts decade, won a Super Bowl, made another one, we could, you know, got close, all that. But, you know, 
we've been on a bit of a downward spiral to a degree, maybe not spiral, but you know, it's been a downward trend a little bit. Um, the Legion of Boom is long gone. Maybe it makes more sense to trade him. And look, everybody in the league, half the half the league at least, is going to want this guy. We could get three number ones and this, that, and the other. Maybe it makes sense to start over. Of course, again, if you don't have another, if you don't have a quarterback, it's not easy just to snap your fingers and say you're going to get one. But yeah. uh, so that is something to consider now. But of the other options, I I guess what I guess one thing I wonder is this: Ron Rivera keeps saying that he thinks that they, he really likes the roster right now. And he thinks that by adding a quarterback, you know, they could make some sort of a jump. And I, and I, I like to knock Ron Rivera a, a bit because he's too much of a salesman, too much of an optimist. Um, I, I don't always think, you know, what he's selling is not always realistic. It drives me crazy. Like just for example, when people say, Oh, they have a really good offensive line. I'm like, they're losing their best offensive lineman. We can't just sit here and pretend Brandon Scherf isn't going to come back and everything will be fine. Even though, Wes Schweitzer did okay without him last year. They don't win games with Brandon Scherf plays. But that said, if you have Gibson, you have McLaurin, if Curtis Samuel actually plays, the offensive line, everybody else kind of comes back. You avoid some of the bad injuries. And the defensive and the defense actually plays, you know, let's just say a top 10 to 15 level, even, right? Then maybe having a Garoppolo could be interesting enough to be dangerous sort of i'm not the biggest jimmy g fan but i I guess if i think that's true then i think the garoppolo trade i might go with i get your point about the rookie i guess maybe i've been too uh too focused on how how unimpressive people are unimpressed people are with this class to think that there really is a guy who who they think is going to blow them out one of these rookies at least will probably become a good starter but you gotta you know i don't know if i'm trading up to get any of these guys as one Source said to me, these guys are basically what Trubisky was, and you wouldn't draft Trubisky at 11. So, what you based on what you know now. So, that's my issue there. So, I think I would either go with the Garoppolo plan or the Trubisky, uh, Desmond Ritter in round two plan kind of a thing. But this is again the sort of dilemma. I, I can't, I can't be overexcited about any of these plans. This is just the reality of where they're at. Yeah, and if they're feeling business pressure to do something big, right, and that's not the way this should be, you know, business interests should not govern football interests, but, you know, if they're trying to sell tickets and get people excited about commanders and hashtag take command, uh, signing Mitchell Trubisky and drafting Desmond Ritter in the second round ain't going to do nothing for nobody. Like, so, you know, like there's, there's that aspect to all of this. I mean, I, I think what you just talked about with Garoppolo is what Ron Rivera kept talking about last offseason, and it was how Ron was selling the Ryan Fitzpatrick approach. And like I said, there is some merit to that. You do see teams do this, not have a great quarterback, but have enough things around the decent quarterback to where the team does well. The Titans with Tannehill, the Niners with Garoppolo. But again, it requires a lot going well. And So many things did not go well for the then Washington football team this past season that I just don't think you can count on that. Like you mentioned the defense being top 10, top 15. I don't know if that's going to be the case. I don't know what to. Definitely not for sure. Definitely not. Yeah, right. Like, what are we supposed to anticipate with this defense next season? I don't know. Maybe it'll be good, but nobody's counting on that off what we saw this past season. You know, I think about the offense. I think you're right. I think there are some really talented guys on this offense, but there's also a TE1 and Logan Thomas who may not be ready for the start of the season due to a torn ACL. There's also a 
WR2 and Curtis Samuel, who, as you just said, we have no idea about from a health standpoint. Uh, your offensive line is going to have at least some change with the presumed departure of Brandon Sheriff. And, you know, Antonio Gibson is in this weird place where there are some things to really like about him, but some of the efficiency stats aren't the greatest. And he had this huge fumbling problem this past season. So, like, yeah, if all these things play out in a positive way, for sure, Washington could have a lot of good things around a decent Garoppolo-like quarterback. But there's there are a lot of ifs there. And we counted on these ifs panning out in a positive way in the 2021 season. And I just don't think we can make that same mistake going into next season. I think there has to be a realism of, you know, some of these things are probably going to work out, but some probably are not. And so you really are trying to get a quarterback who can elevate you. And again, with Garoppolo, I go back to you're giving up assets and you are extending him. This is like the Alex Smith thing all over again. And you could argue that Garoppolo isn't as good as Alex Smith. He's certainly not coming off the season that Alex was coming off of in 2017. For sure. And by the way, this is one when, as an organization, you don't have a coherent plan and you constantly find yourself having to lurch one way or the other. I deal, I talk about this with the Wizards all the time. This is where you get yourself into trouble. And of course, part of like we don't quite know exactly what level of pressure Ron Rivera is under from up above but we have been here for 20 years and know that up above put aside all the current congressional talk any minute he could Dan Snyder could re-enter the the, the the scene and say no you're drafting the Dwayne Haskins or you're doing this kind of thing and so because because it's never just hey we don't really forget forget the tickets don't worry about that forget the fans don't worry about that what do we need to do to put ourselves in the best position? You think the best move is to bide our time this year with the Trubisky, with the with the Desmond Ritter combo for whatever the reason? Okay, fine. If that's what you think is the best from a football perspective, but you're right. I think other factors are going to come in to play, which brings me to a different point. We get it. If they can make the splashy quarterback move, that's the way to go. But what if they can't, but they do. I agree. They do need to change the narrative. It feels like, right. I mean, if they're not going to, if they don't, I assume they think this as well. What else could they do? Now, there's always possibility for a trade, but you never know what the trade market's going to look like for other teams. So you look at the free agent pool. I pulled this up. I pulled up NFL trade rumors. They've listed their top 100 free agents. You can quibble with this order. I looked through the names here, okay? Here, here are some of the names at the top that could be interesting. Three wide receivers are in the top four players. Devontae Adams, Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson. Uh, again, Adams and Godwin may resign with their own team with, with, with their current teams. And I don't understand why Devonte Adams would come here. Although it's worth noting Devonte Adams and Ron Rivera share the same agent. So if Washington is the team that says here, we'll give you all the money. They did try to get Amari Cooper a couple of years ago. I don't know. At least, at least we probably have a feel of the agent will listen. You know? So there's, yeah. there's that. But other than that, okay. I imagine it, I'm not saying that will be the, that, that will fix everything, but if you get one of those three guys, you can probably get some, some excitement, some interest, some intrigue, maybe. But here's the problem. I look at the rest of the list. The number two player on the list is an offensive tackle. After the top four, the next two players are edge rushers. Then there's a cornerback. Then another offensive tackle. I, none of those, they don't need any of those positions. And then if you go a little bit further down the list, like now we start getting into guys where it's not going to matter at all a safety in Marcus Williams. Mike Williams is a receiver from the Chargers. He's fine. He's not going to change the the, the, the needle. So in terms of the idea, like Odell Beckham is a little bit further down. I, I don't know. Obviously, we'll see where he's at with his injury after the Super Bowl. My point is that 
even if you just want to say, okay, how else can they get make a splash? I don't look at free agency and think to myself, well, this is the way to go unless one of those top three receivers decides they're willing to go here. And I don't really want to spend, by the way, you still have to pay Terry McLaurin. Let's not forget that extensions out there. Are you really going to pay two top receivers? That's not how I would want to build my team. Yeah. And I think you have a few things going on. So obviously. Oh, and Curtis Samuel still exists by the way. Yeah. Right. So obviously none of those guys are quarterbacks. And as we all know by now, nothing matters more than quarterback at this point. So like, I think you start with that. There's also a thing of free agency in the NFL in particular is a sucker's game. You pay above what you should pay for guys who are veterans, guys who have mileage on their bodies, and guys who were deemed by their previous teams to not be worthy of contract extensions. So it's like when you go into free agency, that's always a thing. It's very difficult when it comes to like signing premier free agents to win the contracts, you know, like second and third tier free agents, yes, but. What you end up doing inevitably in free agency is overpaying for guys with mileage on their bodies and overpaying for guys who, for whatever reason, weren't re-signed by their previous teams. And I get sometimes it's the player's decision, not the team's decision, but many times it's not, you know, many times it's the team was like, yeah, you're not bad, but we're not giving you what you want. You know, like think about the Brian and Sheriff thing. Okay. The, The commanders obviously think he's good. But they're not just giving him whatever he asks for, right? And there's a reason for that, because they feel like, okay, uh, beyond him, we feel like we can find someone who's close enough to being as good as him, and, you know, he misses a lot of time. There are flaws with a guy like Sheriff. So there's that with free agency. But I think there's also this, too, and this is more of a psychological thing for us as Commanders fans, but the top of Washington's free agent class for last offseason ended up being such a debacle And, you know, some of this had nothing to do with anybody's fault. It was just bad luck, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick, bad luck. Curtis Samuel, bad luck. William Jackson, a third is a different conversation. But your top three free agent acquisitions from last offseason were flops. So if that's the means by which you're trying to make a big splash this offseason, I feel like for a lot of fans, there's going to be this thing of, oh, yeah, what is he going to be another Curtis Samuel? Or, oh, yeah, what is this going to be another Ryan Fitzpatrick? So I think there's that aspect to this as well. Um, so yeah, to your point, I don't, I think when you combine all those things, none of those guys are quarterbacks, the nature of free agency to begin with, and what happened with Washington's free agency class last off season, I don't think that's moving the needle. Like even if the team signed Devonte Adams, like, yeah, that would be exciting and interesting. And there would be some buzz with that. I'm not trying to totally dismiss that, but I still don't, I still think people would come back to, well, yeah, but who's throwing them the football, you know, like that's what people are going to come back to. This offseason <laughs> yeah. has been pro- has been propped up as all about quarterback, and it's been propped up that way by the coach in the coach-centric approach. Like, Ron's the guy who keeps hammering into our brains, quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. And the team, I, I just, I worry about this. The team has put itself in a very difficult spot because if the team doesn't do something substantial at quarterback this offseason, everyone's going to be disappointed. You know, mommy and daddy keep telling us Santa Claus is coming tomorrow. And if there aren't presents under that tree tomorrow, we are all going to be disappointed. This is such a unique offseason in that regard. This is not media hype or fan hype. This is uh, self-inflicted hype. This is coming from the team, from the coach. This That's is a very rare thing. It's it, it's a great point you make. And, and I was just talking about this with somebody else. Like you, you, you try to listen to, I'm sure, whenever Ron Rivera talks uh, to, to somewhere, try to listen to it to see what, what he's going to say. I don't know the exact number, but I was told he was going to do because he was at Radio Row for the Super Bowl, which 
in and of itself says something, right? How many other coaches or general managers are showing up to Radio Row um, to, you know, not many. But anyway, he didn't do one interview. He didn't do two. He did somewhere around like 10 to 12, I think. And I heard a few wow. of them. And they're all very similar conversations. Hey, Ron, you got to get a quarterback. Yeah. Well, we think we have a really great situation. We have an offensive line that was ranked uh, <laughs> somewhere in the top, ranked six, according to, you know, various things. And we've got a thousand yard running back in Antonio Gibson. We've got a thousand yard receiver in Terry McLaurin. You know, we, we think we've got, we've got a new name. We think this is an attractive place. And it's weird in the sense of who is he, ta- who is he selling to? It's like, I get when a politician has a stump speech and they do like on a, before like super Tuesday, they do TV hits with Wichita or they do a TV hit with Des Moines and they do a TV hit with New York or whatever. That's different constituencies here. The constituencies are, the Aaron Rodgers and the Russell Wilsons, I really doubt they're going to listen to an interview with the, the Al Galdi podcast or the standing room only or Rich Eisen and think, oh, I missed I, may, I maybe need to reassess Washington's deal. It's like he is sort of selling to the fan base. Hey, we're going to try. OK, but then what you better than deliver, because if you're the, like, you, like, you know, I, like that's why I wrote my what I wrote a couple of weeks ago about. People can keep making fun of Garoppolo, but the reality is he might be the best guy they ha- that's available and, and other teams around the league kind of concur with that. And my sense is I think Washington does understand that. I just think he keeps talking about it and it does to some degree for people who aren't paying as much of attention like you and me. I think some people could be let down if they don't actually get someone then. Yeah. And here's the other thing too. And I know that nobody wants to hear this, but the best thing maybe not to address quarterback this offseason. Like, when we look at our crystal balls five years from now, we might look back at the 2022 offseason and say, you know what the commander should have done? They should have done nothing at quarterback and waited a year because that 2023 offseason, that was the money offseason to address quarterback. You can't schedule these things. This is part of my concern with all of this. I'm not saying you necessarily have to, like, let everything happen organically. Like, yes, you do have to be aggressive to, to an extent, but you also can't force these things. You know, it's, it's like when people say, like, I have to get married. And so you try to force a marriage. Like, I need to find my wife or find my husband. It's like, you're probably better off sort of living your life and letting things develop. And if something happens to where you click with someone and it, you feel like, okay, marriage is the next logical step, then go ahead and do it. But like, when you say I have to get married, that's when people get married and then get divorced within six months, because like you force something that wasn't there. And I just, I worry about the commanders trying to force something this off season because Ron is feeling this pressure either from Dan or from himself or from whoever to have a good season in year three as a team's head coach. And everyone, you know, has been yelling and screaming about the commander struggles at quarterback forever. And it's like, well, we have to do it this off season. And it's like, you never want to be in a position where you have to do anything. It's more like, Hey, if it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, that's okay too. And I, I think that's a difficult line to walk of, you want to be aggressive. You want to be bold but you also can't force things and you also shouldn't be acting in a panicked manner. And I just hope that the commanders don't end up doing that this off season. Ron keeps talking about all these things so much. I do sometimes wonder maybe he's got plan a, B and C already in his mind. And he's very comfortable with all three plans. You know, maybe Ron knows more than he's letting on. I don't know. I hope that's the case. 
Yeah, for, for, for sure. Um, all right, we've only got a couple of minutes left, and I still want to ask just quickly where we are with the ownership situation because that became a bit of a topic. Um, well, it's always a topic, but it became a little more so on Super Bowl Sunday. But just quickly, with regards to this offseason, we, we're talking about adding guys. Typically, this is where we also talk about subtracting guys. Who, who's a cap casualty this year? Now, this is a team, of course, that's got some cap space, $31.9 million according to over the cap, which is ninth in the league. By the way, the Bengals, third. At fifty-seven point three, so wow! That 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 could be a really interesting situation. They had a really good offseason with their free agents, um, and then of course Joe Burrow. You'd want to go play with him, um, but here's here's Washington's at, and I don't know. Like they don't have to make moves. The question is, will they? So, so here's some of the names that just stand out if you're just looking at it, sort of in terms of the best savings. Landon Collins' salary sixteen point one million. The cap savings would be six point five million so you'd still would have a a, a bit of a hit there uh you know o- over nine million dollars if you one way or the other kendall fuller 11.1 million salary 4.9 savings i can't comprehend that they would move on from him but it's just a note eric flowers you could get away for nothing for for 10 million with no dead money but you just you're going to lose brandon sure if we think so it would seem unlikely you'd move him i think he's a restructure candidate matt ionitis there's some good savings there doesn't make any sense that you would move on from him i wouldn't think maybe he's a trade candidate but you don't think you're cutting him west schweitzer sort of the same thing somebody's gonna have to replace sheriff so i wouldn't think him taylor heineke again i, I don't think there's gonna move him um i'll just mention to shazer Everett just because um we don't know obviously his whole situation just in everything is his way up in the air but they would save about two million on a 2.25 million dollar contract if he was off the books um I, I think obviously landon collins is the most compelling one here and the real question for me is if Ron Rivera's assessment that they need to add another linebacker comes into fruition, either they draft somebody high again or sign a vet, then what do you do? You have this new linebacker, you have Jamin Davis, and you have Cole Holcomb. But now you have Landon Collins, who effectively is a quasi-linebacker now. Where is he playing? If you're, if you're going to say five defensive backs and he's the fifth guy, well, then that means what? Cole Holcomb or Jamin Davis is not playing? How, how does this kind of work? So... I think he's the most compelling. I kind of think he might be back at this point, but that was most compelling to me. Any, any, any of him or anybody else from that group you think is, or maybe somebody I didn't mention that you think is a uh, potential cap casualty. No, I mean, I think one of the things I love about the commander situation is their cap situation. The team has done a really good job managing the cap in recent years. And every year now, it feels like the commanders are in the upper third of the NFL in terms of cap space going into an offseason. So I give the team a lot of credit for that. I, I think the only guy really worth sinking your teeth into is Landon Collins. To Landon's credit, his play improved enough in that Buffalo nickel role. Don't say linebacker. He doesn't like linebacker. But his play improved enough to where at least it is a conversation whether the commander should keep him. Uh, I thought that he was as good as gone, certainly over the, say, first half of last season when it came to this offseason. I still think that he should be cut. He was better in his new role. But, you know, it's not like he was some all-pro player in that new role. And for the money that he makes, it's not just about, like, well, he's better. It should be, well, no, he should be really good. And I don't think that we can say that. So to me, if you're, again, this goes back to your front office. If you're good at finding talent and getting good players, you should be able to find someone at least as good as Landon Collins in his role at a much cheaper price. So uh, I would advocate for cutting him, but, you know, the team has the cap space to where if it doesn't cut him, 
it's not the end of the world. Like you, you can afford this. It's it's not going to crush you. It's kind of like the Brandon Sheriff stuff the last few se- uh, uh, seasons with the franchise tags. That wasn't good. That wasn't good asset management. But it's not like Brandon Sheriff on these non-exclusive franchise tags crippled Washington from a cap standpoint over these last few years. But yeah, I mean, the team for the most part only plays two linebackers anyway. If Landon Collins is essentially a linebacker and you have Holcomb and Jamin Davis, and maybe you're going to add another this offseason somehow, some way, I don't even know that there's necessarily much room for Landon Collins. For sure. All right. And lastly, I do want to get to, um, um, the, I don't want to put this at the very end, but one of these get a couple, <laughs> couple seconds in here. Um, and I've talked a lot about this. Obviously, I'm sure you have as well. Uh, everything that's gone on over the last week or so with regards to Dan Snyder versus the NFL versus Congress this investigation, this new investigation that's coming. Um, you know, my take was when the NFL put out that letter last week saying to Congress, hey, I understand you guys want some more documents. And by the way, the documents are believe are due today, February 14th. And I'm going to assume the NFL will not deliver anything interesting. Um, the, 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 what was interesting to me about that was it was seemed like a very rare time, if not the first time, that there was some separation between the NFL and the team which is notable because the real question i think we all have is when does the nfl say we've had enough when does the nfl say we're done with this we're 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 voting you out or whatever it may be there will be some perhaps some ramifications if that happens but then mike florio has a has a state has a report over the uh, on sunday saying that from what he was told that that sports junkies report from uh last year saying that the Beth Wilkinson investigation was going to recommend that Dan Snyder be forced to sell was accurate. And he, Florio was saying that he, from what his sense is that there may actually be some push from people high up in the NFL. I think he maybe said ownership somewhere that yep. this maybe, maybe, maybe it is people are getting, have had enough and maybe open to doing something about this. I think it's significant, at least from the perspective that we're talking about it now. Because before we weren't even discussing, it was like, oh, this is never going to happen. I- I'm not saying it will. But what's your what was your sense of of kind of that that aspect? Yeah, I mean, look, it's the holy grail. It's the thing that has been talked about as a dream scenario for years by Commanders fans. The idea of Dan Snyder being ousted as owner of the team. It's like a lot of things in life. I'll believe it when I see it. But I also think this: everything that continues to come out with this workplace misconduct scandal over the last week and a half is in the direction of Dan eventually no longer being the owner of the team. It started with the hybrid roundtable on February 3rd with what Tiffany Johnston put out there, not just alleging sexual harassment, but alleging sexual assault, okay? I mean, when you cross the line of touching and shoving, uh, now you're veering into that territory of sexual assault. That's super serious. That's a new level to this workplace misconduct scandal. You then get the pretty clear reveal that the NFL and Dan have been in cahoots in terms of trying to prevent the written report from coming out. Then you have the launch of this second investigation. And as you just outlined, the NFL now apparently turning on Dan, which is maybe the most significant thing of all in terms of Dan potentially eventually no longer being the owner. And now you have the Mike Florio stuff from Super Bowl Sunday suggesting that the other owners are, in fact, growing tired of Dan's act. And that's what matters here. The owners run the NFL, not Roger Goodell. So all of this really comes down to 
when the owners decide that they don't want Dan as an owner anymore, then Dan won't be an owner anymore. You know, this is like the mafia. You're a made guy until you're no longer a made guy. And if Dan is in the process of no longer being a made guy for whatever reason, then I think this really could happen, that he could be out as the owner of the team. Now, again, we'll see it when we believe it. One of the most amazing things about the last two years with this team is that despite the workplace misconduct scandal and the ownership scandal and the name change, Dan Snyder has become more powerful, not less powerful, right? He's more of a majority owner than ever before in terms of recent history with this team. And he was allowed to buy out those disgruntled minority partners at a discounted price with help from the NFL, which passed that debt waiver. So yeah, it's like, it seems like a total 180 from the way that this thing has been going. But if you're following the day-to-day workings of this, as you and I are, and many people listening are, everything is in the direction of Dan potentially being out. Like, it's remarkable to me. The momentum seems pretty real. Where it leads, we don't know. But it's impossible not to remark on that, that everything seems to be pushing in that direction of Dan potentially being ousted. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, I feel almost stupid for not getting to this to the end of our discussion because it is essentially the most important aspect of everything that goes on. It all revolves around this, uh, you know, around this around this guy. If you don't like the name Commanders, well, maybe point to the people who didn't even think to have a contingency plan in place, knowing that the <laughs> that the name Redskins was likely going to go at some point. They didn't even have a plan in place. You're not thrilled with Ron Rivera's direction or that he has too much control. Well, guess what? The guy who the guy who made this decision to give him all this control and somewhat from a position of weakness to a degree, he, you know, he wanted he had to over oversell to perhaps to get somebody of some note to come to this organization. That's on him. And with this quarterback dilemma that we keep going through, well, what happened? He didn't make an aggressive play for Kirk Cousins. He decided to jump in on Dwayne Haskins, which effectively has, has hampered two coaches. Yada yada yada. And that's not even counting twenty years of all this. So. Yeah, it's, it's the biggest thing. And of course, there is the morality of it. Do you feel do you feel good being a fan of this team? I think for a lot yeah. of people, the answer is no. That's why people, I think, as much of a reason why I know people who are saying now they're out as a fan isn't just because they lose. It's because it makes them feel uncomfortable to root for them. 100%. And what I cannot get over is this. The workplace misconduct scandal was essentially over. The media had moved on. Most of the fan base had moved on. And then came the leaked Bruce Allen emails. And the leaked Bruce Allen emails are what reignited this scandal. I feel like this point cannot be made enough. If not for the leaked Bruce Allen emails, none of this is happening right now. Congress would have never gotten involved in this scandal if not for the leaked Bruce Allen emails. And who leaked those emails? That is a huge thing. And if, in fact, the theory that a lot of people have is true, that Dan leaked those emails in an attempt to get back at Bruce, in an attempt to exact revenge on Bruce, how about that irony? That Dan's leaking of those emails could ultimately be what takes Dan down as owner of the team. The poetic justice of this, potentially, is like through the roof in terms of this, like you couldn't have scripted something more intriguing than the way this possibly is played out. Now, again, we don't know if Dan was the leaker, but boy, nobody seems to have another good theory in terms of who was the leaker of these Bruce Allen emails. And that's the root of this reigniting of the scandal. And the reigniting of the scandal is what has brought us to where we are right now. A hundred percent. Yes. The, the irony would not, would be, would be amazing. Maybe that's <laughs> 
Maybe we next time we come on, we'll do conspiracy theories for 100 and go through our favorite ones. Uh, Al, always appreciate it. Of course, you, I don't even have to tell you to go listen to the podcast, but it's the Al Galdi podcast. You can find it everywhere you find this one. He's at Al Galdi on Twitter, and he is the man. Al, you rock. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Ben. Always a fun time talking to Al. I really, really enjoyed that. It was fun to talk a little bit about football. Uh, the quarterback madness. We'll see how that unfolds. And some interesting takeaways from the league, from the, from the Super Bowl. One thing that we... That, all right, in any event, thanks again to everybody for their time. Al Galdi and everybody here for listening. And that's it for this episode of the Standard Groom Only Podcast. Until next time, see ya.